Well, hey everybody, we are here in Jones Studios and we are paying for this rig by the hour, so it's time to get started. I'm really glad you're here with us today as we have a chance to get into God's Word together. I was thinking this week of a time from a few years ago, Lori and I had just gotten married and we were getting our first apartment together. And I can remember the day that we went in to meet the landlady in there before we were moving in and she said, oh, by the way, Braden, the keys are on the kitchen counter. And so a little bit later I went to grab those and I saw there were four different keys sitting there. And you have to understand, like this was a small, 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 keyword small, apartment. And the need for four different keys was like pretty much zero. We had about four doors that locked in that place. And so anytime you'd go anywhere, it was kind of annoying. You'd have a mitt full of keys, one for the front door, one for the door inside the front door. There was a key for the back door. There was a key for the laundry room door. And it was kind of a headache carrying all these keys around. But our lives were made a bit easier when we got a master key made. And now all of a sudden, rather than having all this mitt full of keys, we have one key that opens up all the doors. And I was thinking about it. I would submit to you that there is a master key in Scripture as well. And it's the Gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And though there are many different lenses through which we can examine the Scriptures, the Gospel is the master key that makes the whole thing make sense. If you want to understand who God is, you need to know the Gospel. If you want to understand who you are, you need to know the Gospel. If you want to be able to relate to God or understand the purpose of your life or to, to make sense of the crazy world and crazy times we live in or how to live the life that God created you to live, you need to know the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is the key, the master key that unlocks all of that. And today we are starting a seven week series on the gospel. We're going to look at seven major components that make up the gospel and explain how they all work. We're calling this the mechanics of the gospel. Now you might say, Braden, uh, I already know the gospel. I've already heard it. Why do we need to talk about it? And I will just simply uh, tell you that it's that important. That's why we need to talk about it. Because the reality is the gospel is not just some nice flowery expression or some nice encouraging anecdote to remind ourselves of. Or it's not, it's not that cross stitch on the wall that your grandma made. The gospel is the reality in which we are called to live as believers. So we need to make sure, my friends, that we are all on the same page about what the true gospel actually is. Now, the origins of that word gospel, it simply means good news. And there are lots of so-called gospels out there. Lots of claims in our society of good news that is supposed to change our lives for the better. Some are secular, right? There's that popular expression, just do you. And that is like sort of kind of preached like a gospel sometimes. It's a reality by which some people live their lives. It is a promise of deliverance from oppression. And it seems like really good news because we're essentially giving ourselves license to just do whatever we want. There's another so-called gospel that is the, uh, it's called the self-actualization or self-truth gospel. And what it says is, okay, truth is subjective. So I just need to figure out what truth is for me. It'll be different for you. It's different for me. And as long as I'm living out my truth, I will have grown, morphed, changed, evolved into a better person. There are also some gospels that claim to be Christian, but they're built on 
false doctrine or practices, they're a little misguided. One of those would be what's known as the prosperity gospel. And that essentially teaches that if you have faith, God will give you lots of money and you'll never get sick because God wants to make you happy. There's another, so uh, it claims to be Christian gospel, and, and that's called the works righteousness gospel. And, and it teaches that, hey, if you just work hard enough or try hard enough or do enough, you'll earn your way into God's favor. And friends, I'm saying that all of these are wrong and misguided. The reality is that there is only one true gospel and we need to make sure that we understand it. We as the people of God need to know the gospel. We need to live by the gospel. We need to know how to share the gospel with others. And this, what I'm about to say, is the gospel that we see in scripture. We'll have this on the screen. The first part is this. There is one God by whom and for whom all things exist. We have separated ourselves from God by our sin. God has provided a solution to our sin in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave. We are saved by accepting Jesus' sacrifice and repenting of our sins. We are called to follow Jesus with our whole lives. And if we're saved, we will spend eternity with God. These are the building blocks of the gospel. And today, we are going to examine that first one, that there is one God by whom and for whom all things exist. So what we're going to talk about today is who God is and what God established. And I'll just give you a general life principle here. Any situation you find yourself in, if you start, if you make it your beginning point to, to look at who God is and what he's like and what he has done and the promises that he has made, that's how life is going to make sense. We start with God. If we look at our situations conversely from some other starting point, usually it's ourselves and what I think, we're likely to only find confusion or dead ends or uncertainty or a lack of understanding. If we're going to properly understand the gospel, we need to start with God. And I will quote the wise sage Lori Jones, who when I was telling her about this is what we were going to do in this series, she said, oh, that's true. We start with God because he starts with himself. I said, that is so true. And that's going in the sermon. So there you go. So we need to start by talking about who God is. Who God is. If you were to open up your Bible and read the very first words of Scripture in that, it's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God. And those four words say an awful lot right there. You say, Braden, you actually didn't finish that verse. There's more to it. It's ahem. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I would say, Yes. That is very true. Gold star for you. However, what I want you to see in this verse is that before God made or did anything, He just was. In the beginning, God implies that He was already there before it's ever recorded that He did or made anything. So what I want to do is I want to take for a few minutes just a broad, sweeping, high-level look at who God is and what He is like. This will be super high-level. This will be hilariously incomplete because you can't just sum up God completely in one sermon or a hundred sermons. 
Um, but we need to make sure we at least get a good understanding, to a point anyway, of who he is and what he is like. And I'll say this too, this list will be review for some of you or a lot of you. I want you to listen anyway because we are worshiping God as we bask in these truths of who he is. And I would say this as well. I believe that right now, as we're opening God's word together, God meets with his church and God speaks to his church through his word. So God, I believe, has something to say to us in here today. So let's have our listening ears on and our listening hearts open. You've been told. So God is holy. That's the first stop on this leg of our journey. God is holy. This is one of his most defining features. When we talk about the holiness of God, we're talking about how he is set apart. He's totally other than. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's high and exalted. He's majestic. He's worthy of praise. He's glorious. And we get glimpses of this in Scripture in many places. For instance, if you read Isaiah 6 or Revelation 4, you get a glimpse of the throne room in heaven where there's angels flying around and they're calling out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I would just give a very simple thing on that. When you see that word repeated, holy, 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 if it's repeated, it's important. That gives us a clue that this is a really strong attribute of God. I'll give you a few more examples. There's one in Isaiah 46 in verse 5. God says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? And then in verse 9, he says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Deuteronomy 32 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a god of faithfulness and without iniquity just and upright is he leviticus 11:44 god says in that verse be holy for i am holy so ultimately friends when we think of god we need to acknowledge his holiness he is far and above all else he deserves to be revered respected worshiped adored because he's god He's holy. The next one I'll make mention of is that God is relational. So God has always existed and continues to exist and will always exist in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now make careful note, that does not mean he's three different gods. He's one God, he's three parts. That's called the Trinity. And the Trinity coexists in perfect harmony and relationship with one another. It's a large theme in the scriptures. I'll give you two verses. In John 1.1, 1, 1, here's a couple of them made mention of here. It says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can hear the language of togetherness in there. John 17.21 is another one. Jesus is praying that we may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Again, you can hear the language of connectedness in there. God also desires to be relational with us, which is super cool. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. God is also full of love. This one is immensely huge and important. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that actually God isn't only just full of love, it says God is love. So there you go. 
Psalm 136.26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. And I'm on purpose not going to say anything else about God's love. That's a hilariously short snippet of what it actually is. We're going to talk about it quite a bit more in the coming weeks because God's love is a centrally, vitally important piece to the gospel and to our very lives as well. So just let it be known today, that's who he is. And we're going to talk about it some more. God is full of love. God is love. God is also all-powerful. He is able to do anything. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Jeremiah 32.17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I'm just laughing because there used to be a song we did in the worship team about that like a hundred years ago approximately. God is all-powerful. He's also all-seeing. He sees and knows all things. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. Revelation 2.23, Jesus says, I am the one who searches mind and heart. He is all-seeing. God is also all-present. He is everywhere, all at the same time. Jeremiah 23, 24, God says rhetorically, he asks, Do I not fill heaven and earth? <sighs> Isaiah 57, 15, it says in that verse that God inhabits eternity. There's a mind-bender like, ah, it's just out there. Psalm 139.7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And again, that's rhetorical because in reality, there is nowhere we can flee or run from God's presence because he's everywhere all at the same time. He's all present. God is also eternal. He has always existed. He never dies. He never ends. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And Hebrews 1.8 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I'll just pause there a sec. This is a good example of how God is just far and above what we can even imagine and understand. So I know for me, I, I understand the concept of God being eternal. And I fully believe it, 1,000%. I'm just saying that my brain does not have the processing power to be able to compute that. I, I just, I don't have language for that. And that's so totally God. We can't put him in a box. We can't contain him. We can't just explain him in some clever metaphor. He is so immense, so vast, so incredible. And we will spend our whole lives and then some just learning and discovering and experiencing more of him. That's just our God. So he's eternal. He's also unchanging. James 1.17, it says, With God there is no variation or shadow due to change. Malachi 3.6, this one's a little straightforward. It says, For I the Lord do not change. There you go. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this doesn't literally mean just like literally yesterday, this also includes eternity past. And I was chuckling because I have a niece who, when she was younger, she used to say that everything that happened in the past happened last night. So she'd say, oh, do you remember that time I went to the skating rink? 
that was last night. I'd say, well, no, that was two weeks ago. Or she'd say, oh, do you remember last night when we were visiting with you guys? Well, that was three months ago, okay? Yesterday is not just yesterday, it's also eternity past. God is unchanging. The last one I'll make mention of today is that God is good. And amen to that. Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, You are good and you do good. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good. And I love this language. It says He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. So I love that image. We don't have to run from Him or away from Him. When we're in trouble, we can run to Him. He is kind. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's generous. All aspects just of the goodness of our God. And there's so much more we could say about that, about all of these things, about God in general. But friends, I want you to just see that this is just who God is. Or a few things about Him anyway. Before He made anything, before it's ever recorded that He did anything, that's our God. And we are to acknowledge these things. We are to hold Him in the highest esteem, in the highest regard. Hallowed be His name. That is our God. Which is going to lead us to our second point today. We've talked about who God is. Now we need to talk about what God established. If you go back to Genesis 1.1, now we'll finish the rest of that verse. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything, that means literally everything, was created by God and for God. And that which God created was created as an expression and a reflection of His supreme glory and power and worth. All of creation, friends, all of creation exists to praise and honor and glorify God. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In Psalm 148, it goes on a big rip about how the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens and the waters and the trees and the creatures and the mountains, all praising God. In Luke 19.40, Jesus makes mention that even the rocks will cry out His praise. And a verse that kind of sums up what I'm talking about here is Colossians 1.16. It says this, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. This means that God is at the center of all life. He is the reason for it. He is the source of it. He is the author of it. And this should affect not only how we see the world, guys, but how we see ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. And the scope of what God has made is totally crazy. It's so vast. Again, I don't have the computing power to be able to, to even get there. Even just what is seen is so vast, so detailed, so meticulous, so incredible, and, and we keep discovering more and more all the time. I should also, excuse me, quickly just point out that there's also an unseen spiritual realm that we don't even see. 
So in addition to all that we do see, there's that. There's, there's a heavenly realm where God resides and there's angels and, and, and angelic beings uh, surrounding his throne day and night and praising him and worshiping him. And I say this simply, there's lots more even there too, but I say this simply to just point out, sometimes we get so caught up in our own little world that we just totally forget the scope of God's creation. It's massive. And listen, though my life and though your life is important, it's ultimately but one little speck of what God created compared to the sheer magnitude of everything else. That's what it amounts to. Now, speaking of us, we need to talk about humanity. Of all the things God made and established, mankind is the crown jewel. If you remember in Genesis 1 how that story goes, God is creating, you know, everything. And as he's doing that, he's saying, this is good. This is pleasing to me. This is acceptable. This is fitting. But when he makes the first human, he says, this is very good. It wasn't complete before then. And Genesis 1.27 gives us a glimpse at what our specific purpose is. It says, God created man in his own image. This is a profoundly important verse. We need to understand Genesis 1.27 if we're to understand who we are, what our purpose is, and why we are on this rock that is spinning around the sun. Genesis 1.27 gives us a strong clue that our specific purpose, function, and design is to bear God's image, to reflect His nature, and to bring Him glory. I'll give you an illustration to drive this home. I've used this before, but a lot of places you go in the world, there's big statues built. Great, magnificent statues of important, famous people or important events or different things like that. And the idea is when you look at the statue, you're not supposed to just see the statue and go, oh, that's cool, moving on. Take, for instance, the Statue of Liberty. When you look at the Statue of Liberty, you're not supposed to just say, oh, that's a nice, cool, green, tall statue, which it is, it's, it's awesome looking. But you're supposed to see the Statue of Liberty and have your mind go further to a deeper place and go, oh, this represents something. This is painting a picture of something. And that is that uh, the United States had been under British control and rule and they had successfully broken free uh, emancipated and formed their own nation. So they were now a free, independent country. That's what the, uh, the Statue of Liberty is for. And friends, the same is true for us. We're not supposed to consider mankind and say, wow, look how awesome we are. We're the center of everything. We're the epitome of, of all that there is. No, no, no. We are supposed to consider mankind and have our minds go further, go deeper and say, wow, look at the God who created us. How awesome is he? So by the way that we live, the things that we say, the actions and functions we perform, all of it is supposed to point like a big neon sign to God. You might remember in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And what's super cool is that we were designed to do all of this 
in the context of a relationship with God. I think that's so awesome. Remember we said earlier that God is a relational God. Part of his relational nature is that he wants to have a relationship with us. There's lots of places in scripture that illustrate this. John 15, 5 is one of them. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I want you just to simply notice the language of togetherness and connectedness to that. God, my friends, is not an indifferent God who does not care for his creation. He is not a distant God who is absent from our lives. He is a loving God who wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. He wants to be the center of everything that you are and do. This is the scenario in which human life flourishes. That is the design and function we were supposed to serve. We were supposed to be in relationship with God. So I would just ask you today, how is your relationship with God? Are you nurturing it and nourishing it? Are you pouring yourself into that and investing time in that? How is your relationship with God these days? It's a vitally important piece of your walk. It's huge. So I'm going to start coming in here, coming in for a landing. This isn't going to be like a crash landing. It's going to be more like one of those ones if you've ever been in a plane and they tell you, oh, you have to go sit in your seat and put the seatbelt on because we're nearing your destination and then you just like circle around in the air for an hour. It'll be more like that. I just have three things, three takeaways I want to leave with you based on the stuff we've been talking about. And number one is this, everything is God's. Everything is God's. This, this should change the way that we look at things. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's not some of it. That's not most of it. That's the fullness therein is God's. And guess what? Everything in it is supposed to point us to Him. We can get so caught up in created things that we sometimes forget about the Creator of all things. Created things, guys, are good and they're blessings from God, but they become stumbling blocks if we all of a sudden elevate them over God. That's not how it's supposed to be. So that created thing that you're super interested in and maybe seeking your meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction from, I'm just telling you, you're not going to find it there, at least in a way that is at all enduring. It's only found in the God who created that. Furthermore, we get so caught up sometimes in what's mine. At least I do. Maybe you don't. You probably do. We get selfish. We get greedy. And in reality, guys, this is utter foolishness because none of it belongs to us anyway. And if we are stuck in a mentality that everything is ours, we're going to start to close our hand. We're going to tighten our fists. And ironically, stuff is going to slip through our fingers. But conversely, if we live from a mentality where we understand that everything is God's anyway, we will open our hands and we will allow blessing to flow from God to us and through us to others. And I'm just saying, when that happens, God actually gives us more blessing to flow through us to others. So I would just ask you, what are you holding in greater esteem than the Creator, the Lord God? What are we holding on to as though it's ours when in reality it's His? What do we need to do to become better stewards of that which is God's and He has entrusted with us? The reality is everything is God's. Point number two ties right in with that. It's this. 
You are God's. You are God's. And as believers, this is first and foremost how we need to see ourselves, belonging to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. He made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Romans 14.8 says, Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And I'm just hammering away at this because I've been trying to say all day that God needs to be at the center of our focus. He is not some peripheral figure on the outside. He is not some accessory to your life. We cannot and will not flourish, church, until we start seeing God for who He really is. We also cannot and will not flourish until we start understanding our lives for what they really are. They are a gift. They are a vessel. They are an arena in which we can honor and glorify the Lord because that's the whole point. And I'm telling you that if you're not tapped into that, if that's not the way you are living your life, you are not truly living according to your purpose. And again, I will just reiterate, one of the coolest parts of all of this is the context in which we are God's, the context in which we bring glory to God is through the relationship He wants to have with us. That's so awesome. We don't serve the Lord as mindless drones or robots. We are His beloved children as Christians. As a believer, that is who you are. And that is your most distinguishing feature that trumps all others. You belong to God. And I'll add this too, if you are watching this or listening to this and you're not a believer, God is still sovereign over your life. I don't want you to convince yourself that you are living in a reality that is somehow detached from God. Even if you don't acknowledge it, even if you don't even believe in Him, God is still God and He has authority over your life. And if you don't know the Lord... He is desiring to have that relationship with you today. You can enter into relationship with the creator of the universe through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, who died on a cross in your place for your sins. You can believe and accept what he has done for you. You can receive the Holy Spirit and be able to live in daily and continual fellowship and relationship with the Lord. You can live the life you were always meant to live, close to God, by God, and for God. And the third and final point today is this. God is the center of it all. In case that was for some reason unclear so far. God is the point of it, not you. The world revolves around Him, not you. He deserves the glory, not you. And as we allow God to be the center point in the core of our lives, we will start to see our actions flow from that place. And that is when life starts to flourish and make sense. I'll give you one more illustration. You guys are aware of the concept of the center of gravity. As humans, we have a center of gravity that pertains to our balance. And when we operate from a strong center of gravity, we're steady on our feet, we're able to stay in balance, and we're not doing this, right? Now, you guys have seen infants when they're learning to walk. They have definitely not figured out their center of gravity. And uh, my dad has told me this on numerous occasions. He actually told me this recently. He said, when I was a little guy learning to walk, he said, my head was so big, I looked like a pumpkin balancing on a stick. 
and I was very top heavy. And uh, that made me feel really good to hear that, you know, the 17 times he's told me that. So, but a lot of kids, a lot of toddlers have this as well. They really struggle. They're wobbling and they're unsteady and they're falling over and they're having a good struggle with it. But once they have figured out their center of gravity, everything changes. They're able to stay on their feet and stay balanced and make sense of walking and, and staying upright. And you parents would know when they reach that stage, it's hard to keep up with them. And so it is, guys, in our lives as well. If our center point, if our center of gravity is something other than God, we might think that we're stable and secure, but it doesn't take a whole lot for us to get totally thrown off. It might be okay right in this moment, but what about when something happens and all of a sudden we're totally out of balance? However, as we grow to center ourselves and root and ground ourselves in the Lord, we will grow to be more stable and more steadfast. We're able to make better sense of ourselves and the world around us. We need that right now, just saying. So what do you need to do, my friend, to center yourself on the Lord? What areas in your life are off-center and therefore out of balance? I'll, I'll close today just by emphasizing again the importance of all this stuff. If we're going to understand the gospel, the reality that we're supposed to live in as Christians, we need to first understand who God is and what He has established. And I'm saying if we get off on this, the gospel ceases to be the gospel. It all starts with God. It starts with God, how He is high and exalted. He is seated on His throne and how we are to view and interact with Him. And in the coming weeks, we're going to explore the other elements of the gospel. Uh, our role, our involvement, how we kind of made things take a turn south, how God provided for us, how we can respond to that. It really is the greatest news in the history of the world. But for today, friends, let us just plant our hearts on the reality of who God is and purpose ourselves to let God take His rightful place in our lives at the center on the throne of our hearts. I want to pray for us. God and Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge all of these things about you today. We acknowledge that you are God. You are the true starting point. You are the worthy center point, Lord God. Help us to understand that more deeply, God. And I'm praying for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that as we proceed from this point today, you would strengthen us, God, by your Spirit. You would cause us to have a desire and have the strength to center our very lives on you. If there are things, God, in our lives, which I know there are, I know there are in mine, that are off-center, we're putting our hope somewhere else, we're looking somewhere else, God, I'm praying you'd point those out. Holy Spirit, would you bring those to mind, even right now? Bring those to mind, God, so that we can, as your word says, take every thought captive. We can take all of that, God, and we can, we can turn it and point it and hand it over to you. God, I'm praying that as a church, you would be our center. You would be our rock. You would be our foundation. You would be in the center of everything that we are and we do. Lord, I'm praying for deeper revelation on all of this stuff for my, my brothers and sisters. I'm praying, God, that we would come to love and appreciate and admire you more and more. 
God, I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful for it being the greatest news that has ever existed. And God, it really is a wonderful opportunity to be able to study this together. So God, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Thanks for watching, guys. See you next time.